Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Graves, the co-founder of TheLeveragists.com and Divisio.com, along with my partner, Jack Humphrey. Um, we've got a good guest lined up for today. All right. Well, we have Bart Baggett here today, and he is perhaps best known as the world's number one forensic handwriting expert who's been featured on CNN, Good Morning America, Today's Show, and over six. 1,500 radio and TV shows. His, uh, during his media rise, Bart started an advertising agency for authors and experts and spoke to sold-out audiences in Australia, Taiwan, India, and the USA on both self-improvement and marketing. He launched his latest book, The Magic Question, to number one on Amazon with over 100 positive reviews in the first three days. Bart, welcome to Leverage Masters. Hey, thanks for thanks for having me, guys. I'm so excited. I love what you're up to. This is really going to be fun for us. Well, 1,600 radio shows. Are you tired of that yet, or you know that is a big number? I think I only know one person that's done more, unless you have your own show, which I eventually did. Um, no, I never really got tired of it. It's sort of like being a musician. You tell the same stories over and over to a new audience. I think uh, great musicians, older musicians, and maybe even keynote speakers uh, suffer through problems telling the same stories, but it's still fresh. And what's great about radio and podcasts, you get to answer questions, and every host has a different personality. So I, I wouldn't say I got tired of it. I got tired of getting up at 4 in the morning. That's what, that's what was hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't do as much of that as I did. Drive time stuff is hard. Yeah, I've done that. I did that for a while, and I'm like, I don't know that I can sustain this. I'm just that kind of creature. I don't think I've done 1,600 episodes of all the podcasts that I've ever done, including this one and others. I would have to go back and check, but I don't. And that's as a host. Like you say, there's an advantage to that. You have to do that, you know, every week or whatever without fail. So that's pretty impressive. And uh, I want to talk about all kinds of stuff today. I have uh, read through your Wikipedia and through your site and everything, and I wanted to make sure that we covered everything possible because you have – an incredibly deep uh, bench of accomplishments and things that you've worked with people uh, over the years. Um, but we'll start you off like we do with everybody on every show, and that is we've heard a little bit about your background, but what is the thing that right now is getting you out of bed, hopefully not at 4 in the morning, uh, every morning with a fire burning <laughs> in your belly today? That's, that's a great question. It's a great question. And about every couple of years, I, I kind of create something new, whether it's a new book or a new home study program or a new speech. And, and uh, the last couple of years, it's really been about life design. It's about creating some kind of structure where people can live a life of, of meaning and significance. And, and it really pulls from everything I learned about NLP, from uh, uh, graphology, from graphotherapy, as well as hypnosis and coaching to get people into a structure because people are kind of stuck in ruts and they don't all and so some of that solution is you know that deep value change transformational work that you can only get at seminars and some of it is just accountability so it's called prison life design i think that's what i'm most excited about and then i still am very excited helping my businesses because you know most everybody who ends up writing a book or becoming an, uh, a podcaster like you all have messages and people get stuck people get stuck knowing how to market that's what i like so much about uh, about uh, even in Gina and your work. I mean, you have a really good map for helping people get the message out, and that really uh, appealed to me. Oh, yeah, Gina's got uh, a little bit of a technical problem right now, but I can answer for her because we're kind of like peas in a pod. Yes, and, and I totally agree with that. I've seen it firsthand that, you know, a lot, there's an awful lot of stuff you can self-educate out there and kind of, pick things up, but it's all scattered. And that thing about structure is really probably the most crucial point, I think, if I had to pick one, uh, for success, for people to just calm down, have somebody lead them from step A to step Z, uh, and have that structure. Because otherwise, you know, information likes to be free. You could cobble together enough information, and a lot of people are doing that and kind of lucking out and, you know, having big YouTube channels and things like that with no formal education. <laughs> but, 
but it's it's the exception and not the rule, right? Well, I think that's probably the biggest challenge for both the publisher, like authors and experts like we are, and then also consumers, is there's so much free information, they don't know what's just dead wrong. They don't know what recipe is going to kill them or make them sick, but all the recipes are free, yet we still sell more recipe books in the food than any other, any other category. So, so it's sometimes it's really worth having someone that you trust curate the information and then paying that premium for that. And I think that's a struggle a lot of people make. I know in, in the, I have a little niche in handwriting analysis, which is, is a really unique niche, very powerful, and clients all over the world. And the people that go through this particular training we build, they get the best information, and I've called out all the untrue stuff. Because any video you watch, there's at least one or two things I look at and say, that's just not even true. Like, that's crazy. Like, that's ridiculous. And, yeah. and I'm the expert saying, it's stupid. You know, If I'm saying it's stupid, half the world is going, this is stupid. And I totally agree. So, so in anything, whether NLP or hypnosis or business or, or funnel blueprint building, which I, I help all my people build a funnel, some of it just doesn't work anymore. And unless you have an expert knowing what doesn't work anymore and what's just BS and what's really going to work today, you end up spinning your wheels and you kick back and you go, oh, I've spent all this money and I can't change, a business can't change, and, and they think the whole thing doesn't work. They think Internet marketing doesn't work. They think online advertising. They think, they think therapy doesn't work. When, in fact, it all works. There's just so much free information, you're flooded with confusion. Isn't it weird, though, how, how we get over something, something so five minutes ago when, I mean, you could go back to 2005 and kind of pick up on what we were doing then, and a lot of that stuff would still work. You'd have to nuance it for the, the, the changes that have taken place, but a lot of people just distrust things just because of their age. And they think, well, that must not work anymore. But human nature hasn't changed the entire time the Internet's been around. And, and for, since long before you know, that, I mean, human nature is pretty constant, right? You know, it's funny to say that. The last podcast, I, I, I said a quote, and he goes, that's brilliant. And I said, you know, technology changes every few years, but human beings and psychology don't really change. And I look at books from my advertising mentors back in the 30s and 40s and the display ads and newspapers. Um, you guys don't know this, but when I was 19, we ran ads in 20 newspapers around the country and managed a huge team of hypnotists to help people stop smoking and lose weight. And that model of, hey, you know, here's who we are, come meet us, let us do some magic on you and you can have transformation, that's the same model they're using today except it's a, it's a $1 download, it's a continuity program, but the same offer, the same needs, the same pain are being addressed, but the technology changed profoundly. So within a couple of years, we were completely out of business because everybody was doing the same thing, and then 10 years later, newspapers disappeared completely. So, so the thing, meaning the psychology, the motivation, the why people do what they do, it all still works exactly the same way, but you've got to be adaptive and strategic with the technology, and you have to understand the customer journey, you understand how they know who you are, get to know them, like and trust you, and then eventually build a relationship with them. That's called doing business. That's really interesting, uh, the cyclical nature of it as well. When you guys got put out of business because it just became too competitive, you only needed to wait for five minutes for everybody else to move on, right? And you could just dip right back into that. I've done that a few times. I know Gina has too, where you just go, and it's like everybody's over it. And it's like, wait a minute, everybody's out there still needing to quit smoking, you know? (laughs) Did you guys ever go back into it or or ever see anything like that? We did not. Again, I was only 19, so I was not the primary person in the company. But, you know, we, we were using a right. small-town approach of running ads in small town, which is not any different than saying running ads in Kingston, Arizona on AdWords. There's probably nobody else doing that in Kingston, Arizona today. So it was very easy to do it today yeah. using a different methodology. And then it was just there was three other people. I mean, they would steal our ad verbatim. They would just change the photograph. It was really very competitive. And you see the same thing today with funnels, with videos, with Me Too's. Everybody thinks that they're the next Tony Robbins or you know Gary Vee. And, and they just steal that content, and all of a sudden you get very competitive. The funnels, the upsells are all the same. And you're right. Uh, you know, With a year later, they're probably out of business because they don't know the – the exquisiteness of the fine details. And that's, I think, why you need a coach or a mentor that makes a difference. Yeah. 
it is frustrating. I've seen two guys, two pretty big in the industry uh, marketers in the last month complain that somebody had stolen verbatim their entire webinar, their entire sales copy, and they don't change photographs or anything anymore in some cases. They just steal all of it. And can you speak to that? Like what, what would somebody do to defend against something like that, which appears, I mean, that was kind of weird that two guys totally separate industries and everything came out and said the same thing, that people are just picking off people's stuff. And sure, there are things you could do, like to, uh, uh, you know, cease and desist and all that kind of stuff, but that slows a business down. What, what kept you going for such a long career with sometimes people being unscrupulous that way or uh, other issues similar to that coming yeah. up? It's a good question. I, I mean, when you're at the top, people will criticize you. I, I don't know anyone in, in the industry. And I, I'm just in personal development. Like, I'm not trying to, to put the doctors out of business. I'm not trying to, you know, do anything political. I'm just, you know, helping people transform themselves. I think it's a pretty generic business, yet I've always had people despise me and hate me and fight over details, and especially when I was 22, 23, doing hundreds of radio shows, you know, being on national TV at, at such a young age. The people that were already experts just thought I must have be cheat. I must have cheated somebody, and I didn't cheat anybody. And I even had the guy who was younger than me at the time <clears throat> steal one of my relationship books, and he, the cover was identical, the name was almost identical, and essentially it looked just like my book. And I thought, well, that's the greatest compliment ever. At the same time, being a little bit of, of resentful that you know it, the, he took everything identical. But here's the bottom line. Five years later, he was nowhere to be found. And the thing is, even the people who knock off your best stuff, they're only knocking off the front end of the funnel. They're not, they're not knocking off the experience, the sales scripts, the operations, all the things that make your customers. For example, I know a lot of people in the funnel business, you know, and there's a ton of people saying, I can build your funnel for you, a ton of ad agencies. And you know, people might pay five or $10,000 for the right mentor to guide you through that because you can scale that up to $30,000, $40,000 a month. But the people that are stealing people's stuff, they don't have the depth of knowledge to sustain that. So a few months later, they're going to get returns. They're going to get critical reviews on the Internet. They're going to get sued. There's a lot of negative things to happen to people that don't have the resources to create their own. Now, I, I'm not saying I'm against modeling because you should absolutely look and model what's work. I go to a lot of seminars. I probably spend more money on seminars than anybody, and I sell seminars. But it's because I'm constantly learning about the different model. But, yeah, taking things slide for slide is, is a little bit lazy in my book, and that person's probably not going to make it through the next two years for sure. Yeah. Well, there's also either the relationship that you've built with a, a significant audience, or if it's a new audience, it's your relatability, right? I mean, that, that can't be stolen. And if somebody doesn't have that, you know, you kind of have a market cornered when you're the only one that people can stand to listen to. And the rest of the stuff, when they have to step up to the line and do some of that stuff, they kind of fall flat. Is that part of what, it can, you know, kind of contributes to the longevity in anything that you want to do? Well, I, I, think, it's, I think it's integrity. It, it's, it's long-term efficiency. If you're in any kind of business, and, and we're talking about even regular businesses like, you know, maybe weightlifting, 24-hour fitness, or guitar, if you're making some kind of significant transformation in, the, in your client and, and you're providing great service and you're providing more in value than they're paying you, you're going to have loyal clients. And as long as you're not a commodity, people aren't going to switch. Like, I don't have any loyalty to gasoline. Like, I just, whichever one's cheapest, I'll buy. I don't think my car knows the difference. You could argue that, but I would have loyalty to my business coach or my therapist or, or my personal mm. development guys. Like, I'll spend the $2,000 to hear certain people speak because I know that they're spending $50 million a year on advertising, and they can teach me something. But the guy who runs a webinar that says that he made $4,000 last month, I don't have a lot to learn from that guy because I've made $4,000 a month since I was 22 years old. Like that, that's not a big number for me. So I want to go to where people have the deep experience. And so I think you know, it flushes out right. the newbies. And so it's just a matter of integrity. If you provide great work and great transformation, you'll sustain in business. And if you're not having great transformation in your clients, um, you should. In fact, I'll tell you a story, a true story, with a friend of mine who was asking me about his business. And I said, look, you're in this business. You're charging too little. And the fact is you're not getting results. You've been doing this a year, and your clients 
don't have full calendars. They don't have a full practice. These coaches are still struggling, and you've been working with them for how long? And I just had to bring it up to him that, hey, whatever you're doing, they're not getting results they want, and you're charging too little. So you've got to change your business model. And about a year later, he went out of business. He just doesn't work. And I said, I, I, I didn't want to say I told you so because you're a friend of mine, but if you're, if you're not getting the clients the results, it doesn't matter how much you're charging, they're not going to stick around. Yeah, good point. I want to switch it up a little bit here because I, I was reading through um, your work and something, you know, this is Leverage Masters, so we're probably going to be talking about leverage <laughs> at some point. And your latest book, I think it's your latest book, The Magic Question, right? Yes, it's the most recent one that I published. Okay, and it says how to get what you want in half the time. That smells like leverage to me. What do you talk about in that book? What's it about? It's interesting. That, that one book, about 60, 70 pages, has become my best-selling book. People read the whole thing. And it is essentially one concept that I have used from, I guess I learned it in my original NLP training, I think about 20 years ago. One of my original teachers taught about uh -huh. direction questions. His name is Rex Syke, brilliant guy. And it's about how you can direct your unconscious mind to bypass your beliefs. And so I took that one idea and I said, what if we just made it simple? People could ask one question a day every morning when they wake up, and that question would dictate how happy they are that day and what they look for. And so using the, you know, the power of the mind, the reticular activated system, you can kind of bypass all the garble that you have, your belief systems, your biasness, your, your self-limiting thoughts, like I can't be a millionaire or I'm not the looking. You just bypass all that. See, questions aren't affirmations. They don't, have to, they don't have to fight up against your reality that you're overweight or you're underfinanced. The, the question is say, hey, how can, I be, how can I double my income? You know, how can I find an amazing person? How can I find my soulmate? That question stimulates a lookingness with a level of optimism that affirmations don't give you. So that one technique has profoundly changed the lives of those who have read it and implemented it because now they're simply looking for evidence to support the underlying presupposition that it's possible to have what you want in half the time. That's the magic of it. It really is quite profound system, and it's only one technique of dozens of techniques in, from the field of personal development. I'd heard one time, I can't remember where, um, someone was discussing the idea of just giving your brain questions. Like, give, them things, give it things to work on or it will find things, and you don't want it doing that. <laughs> like, it'll find problems and it'll find issues, you know, things that you just don't. So keep your mind occupied by asking questions and just leaving that question out there. Is this related? Because it will subconsciously always be looking for the answer until it finds it. Is that sort of what you're talking about? Yeah, it, it's a little rabbit wheel of, of, of solutions. And one of the chapters in that book called The Magic Questions about one of my neighbors, and he literally is a problem generator. Like I've never had a two-minute conversation with him <laughs> without him telling me every problem in the universe, from the car, the parking, the, the landlord, the neighbor. Like, you know, if there's anybody <laughs> – all he does is look at problems. So he must wake up in the morning and says, what's wrong with the world? Who's screwing me now? And he never asks, how can I fix it? How can I be happy? He only asks what's wrong with the world and his life. And because he asks that question constantly, he, his little brain is a problem finder. I mean, if he could take that same – I mean, he's like an animal. Like, he's a cougar when it comes to finding problems. If he could take that to find solutions, he would be wildly successful and not living on welfare, you know, two blocks away. It's very, it's very sad, but he doesn't know how to run his brain. And his brain is a wonderful machine that always finds the answer to the questions he's asking. He's just asking a poorly structured question. And so it's not just a matter of questions. It's how do you structure the questions with the proper presuppositions. Um, and, and by the way, that, that book is, is on Audible and it's on Amazon, but I'll give you listeners for free if you want. It's one of the great books. It's at bartbaggett.com, little secret page. Just go to the website, scroll down, look for the magic question, click on the cover, and you can download it for free with the audiobook. So I'd love you to go to Audible or Amazon, but you don't have to. You can have it for free. Wow, thank you very much. Yeah, everybody, you got an Easter egg today. <laughs> Easter's not over. Awesome. <laughs> Well, yeah, so talk a little bit more about framing that question. Like, give me an example of, uh, you know, a good and a bad frame, because 
I'm not sure that I understand that formula uh, or if our listeners might uh, benefit a little bit more from that. But if you could give us an example of each, like maybe how your neighbor is framing questions and how you would recommend he frame questions. Well, and it's not an easy process. Even some of my coaches, that's part of the test on the Prism Life Design, say, you don't really, you haven't really mastered this yet. You need to go back and, and read through all the examples. Um, but, for example, if you want to lose weight, you know, you would, you would simply say, okay, you know, how quickly can I lose 10 pounds? That would be a pretty good, a good question. How quickly can I lose 10 pounds? Because you're framing the presupposition that you can lose 10 pounds and that you can do it quickly. But a bad question would be, um, you know, how come I'm fat? How come I'm, you know, how uh, come I can't control my diet? How, how, why do I love diet soda? Like, like, that's a horrible question. The same intent is you want to stop drinking diet soda or you want to get to the gym. But asking why you're fat, your unconscious mind will tell you a hundred reasons you're fat. And yet you don't want to know that because you already know that. I mean, it, you don't really need a new diet plan, although I would say that there's some brilliant diet plans out there that address some bigger issues. But for most people, it's about doing the things you know to do. You eat well, you exercise, you restrain from putting toxic foods. Some of the fundamentals could make a profound shift. So how quickly can I lose 10 pounds? Your, your unconscious mind says, yeah, I could do that really quickly. And then you look for ways to make that statement true or make that question come true. And then when you sit down for breakfast or lunch, you're, you're not going to go for the Tootsie Roll. You'll be like, no, I'm going to drink water. I'm going to go for a walk for my lunch break. And you find evidence. Nice. Yeah, like red cars. <laughs> the red car experiment. Everybody go look for red cars today, and then that's all you'll see. <laughs> Yeah, and, and when I do that seminar, I have everyone look for, look for red around the room. I don't want to close their eyes. And then I say, okay, everybody just start talking and tell me everything that's yellow. And I've done this from India and, and Taiwan, all over the world. And invariably, there's a lady in the front row that's wearing a yellow shirt and does not know she's wearing a yellow shirt. And she just doesn't say it. And so when they open their eyes, they look like, oh, my God, yellow's everywhere. But I wasn't looking for it because in looking for it, I didn't see it. So I look back at my life and I think how much money I have missed because I wasn't looking for a million dollars, especially in my 20s. I was looking for tens of like, I Like, was there someone who literally said, you know what, if you need a million dollars? I mean, no one ever says that verbatim, but I know I was in the company of people that could have easily made my business much better if I was looking for deals that size. And when you start asking questions like, how can I be a millionaire or, what, you know, how can I make, you know, get into the billionaire club? That's a different line of questioning and it brings different answers. Yeah, and that's, uh, well, that's a great example of leveraging your time and listening to the right people, tuning in to the show, and then hearing a guy tell them <laughs> what you just said. I mean, that can turn people's days around, let alone weeks, months, and years to come. So thank you very much for sharing that. I was, I was going to ask you uh, okay. something that I try to get to with everybody uh, at some point, and just what what's the favorite kind of breakthrough you like to make when you're working with a client when you're helping someone what what really is that score that you you you're always chasing like if if somebody just really gets it their business takes off they listen to you in a certain way and it just goes nuts or what is that for you what really does it for you well it's not for me it's what is I think the biggest breakthrough and especially the people that are coming from a nine-to-five job, or let's say transition between having a, a career where they've had security with other people into the entrepreneur space, or people that are new in the entrepreneur space and they're still struggling. Let's say people that are making less than 100000 a year. Like they're kind of making it, but they're not really – they really can't afford ads yet. Like they're still, they're still thinking, shaking hands, networking. I think the biggest breakthrough is when somebody pays them a really great paycheck. Like let's say they say $10,000 for you know, a consulting arrangement or, or a seminar, or they get $10,000 for a speech when they've been speaking for free. I think that's a game changer because what it does for them is it finally confirms what they've been hoping to believe is there's plenty of money in the world. And, and so until you've been paid $10,000, $20,000 a day, you don't know that that exists. You don't know that people routinely walk into Lexus dealers or, or Lamborghini dealers and just write a check for $300,000 for a car. Like, you know it happens conceptually. You know the money's there, but you don't feel part of the club. It's like you're on the outside of the gate looking in the Getty Mansion. 
But once you have that experience of someone gladly saying, yeah, I can afford $5,000 for some consulting, or here's a check for $10,000 for this you know, vacation that you put together, it's mind-blowing. And so when that first happens, I think that's the moment they realize, oh, my God, I've been undercharging. I don't work by the hour. I don't want to sell my time by the hour. I want to sell results. And when people make that shift from selling their time by the hour to selling profound results, their whole life and their whole business changes. And then their focus becomes, how do I get profound results for my clients? And then how do I find clients that, that can afford and appreciate that result? So whether you're helping coming overcome depression, overcoming grief, or, or finding a soulmate, or building a business funnel, whatever that thing that you do is, if you provide great results, people will be gladly pay you a premium ticket price. And that changes everything because you don't want to be in the commodities. You don't want to be selling hamburgers and car washes because everybody does that. You then you have to compete on price, and it's on the unless you're Walmart or Amazon, you can't afford to compete on price. So most of us need to compete on quality and transformational benefit, and then you can get the premium price. Yeah, it really is about that. I mean, a lot of people, I think, you know, really overlook they with the inexperience. And just looking at how the world works around them, well, everybody's in a commoditized situation around them. Everybody is selling hamburgers and uh, gas, and <laughs> and they think, well, I'm in business now, and I'm I'm an entrepreneur now, and my whole experience with being in a consumer situation, looking at businesses from the outside, is I've got to compete on price, or I've got to come up with some crafty way. And I think it's really surprising for people when they meet somebody like you, and you show them, no, nah, it's not about any of that at all, none of that. You should stay away from that, in fact. It'll, it'll run you out of business in less than a year. So I think that's really cool. That, that keeps getting repeated on this show with all of our guests that have come in uh, with that question because it's really something to hammer home. And I'm watching people out there who are doing this and command, uh, uh, consulting and coaching gigs and, and prices for product services and uh, it's just happening all day long, every day, all over the place. And I wonder if, if, if I could do a follow-up question to that. What do you think a person is doing when they talk themselves out of it? Like, well, that's them people. That's those people. That's they. <laughs> I can't do that. They have some sort of special gift that I don't have. Do you ever find clients like that that need a little bit of a pep out of that, get a, talked out of that a little bit, and how would you do it? I, th I think they all need it. I mean, we, we run a coaching program. So every, every couple of weeks or four years, I've met with individuals from all kinds of countries, from India to Jordan. And I think their biggest issue is that they grow up in cultures, not just America, and, not, and no particular culture, but their parents worked for, by the hour. Their parents had jobs. Everybody they know has jobs. It's security. They have benefits. Now, we know that's not really security long-term because business has changed. It's not the 50s anymore. But they've got an entire culture of their friends and family that work by the hour that said if you went to school and got a degree, you have security. And so to tell them that you're no longer selling your time by the hour, you're going to have a flat rate, you're going to charge $3,000, and you're going to get them this result, it's mind-boggling. And since they've, they've never done it, I mean, the only time they've done that is when they invested in our program for C. So let's say one of our programs in India, for example, is about $2,700 U.S., which is, is still less than $3,000. I think that's really cheap. I mean, some of Tony Robbins' seminars are 6000 for one seminar. But there, oh, yeah. you can literally, you know, almost, you could buy a small car for that. Like it is, it is, a, is a, you know, a couple of months of income for sure, even in the upper middle class. So even though they've made that purchase, Somebody talked them into making that purchase, so they have one experience of at least seeing the value of that purchase. They're still insecure about whether they could do it because the guy they bought it from was somehow real special. He was the world's best or the city's best or he had all the – so they justify, well, that's different because he's so special. But they don't know that I knew the guy when he wasn't that special. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that guy was just another guy. Yeah. And so people go through transformation. So it takes a little time for them to realize that it doesn't matter about your identity. It doesn't matter about your resume, how many radio shows you've been on, how many books you've written. People don't buy for that reason. People will confirm that they made a good decision. People will be attracted. People will be interested because of all the things I've done. But the only reason they're really going to give me money is they trust me to deliver the result that I promised. And they go, you know what? I believe he can. He has the ability. I believe he will. It means he has enough integrity. And I believe that I'm ready to change. Like if those three things happen, 
they'll pay whoever is sitting in front of them with the offer. And if you don't believe that you can deliver that, then you don't ask the question. So that is a big issue, especially with our people that have full-time jobs, got coaching training, got a certificate in some particular modality, and then saying, look, you can't charge by the hour anymore. I know all your friends and all your coaching buddies and all the coaching schools tell you to charge by the hour, but if you do, that's the kiss of death. We don't do that here, and if you do do that here, it's impossible to pay for advertising and build the kind of business that you want or the lifestyle because I don't really care about giving them another job. I mean, if you, want to, if you want to do eight hours of counseling, that sounds horrible to me. Like eight hours a day for five days, like where's the freedom in that? I'm going to be on a beach in Fiji and do my hour of you know, coaching call with my U.K. client, help her build her funnel, and go surfing the rest of the day or scuba diving. To me, that's a better lifestyle choice. But I could never do that if I was charging by the hour. And, and I try and convince them through metaphors, through examples. But the truth is, until they have somebody say yes, it's, it's an if. It's an hesitation. And once they say yes, they go, wow, okay, I can do that. And, and then that changes the whole life. Awesome. Major pattern interruption and switch gears here because I'm sitting here reading your uh, the other things <laughs> that are seemingly really separate from what we've talked about thus far. But I bet you there's a thread that connects all of this, and I, I would like you to kind of illustrate that in whatever way that it does, sure. which is like you've been on the handwriting stuff and, you know, being interviewed by Ashley Banfield and Larry King and Paula Zahn and on the Wall Street Journal – uh, the handwriting stuff, the TV shows, and please do also explain the 14 feature films. What the heck, man? Do you do you <laughs> do you ever sleep or what? Uh, I I got that idea. I was in Dallas, Texas, and I've been doing three or four radio shows a day, and, and I was a little tired because I was promoting one of my books. I was in my 20s, and um, I went to uh, Date with Destiny, one of Tony Robbins' seminars, and we outlined some of the things that I could be if I really believed I could. And one of the and so I made a bucket list in that event, and part of that bucket list was stand-up comedy, you know, uh, actor things that I never thought I could. I literally thought it was just not in my planet. I was in Dallas, Texas. I didn't live in Los Angeles, and for some reason, I my beliefs switched, and I said I could I could do a little bit of everything. Um, and so yeah, I, I spent some time in Los Angeles. I live here now, and end up being in 14, 15 films as an actor. I don't think I'll ever win an Oscar. I'm not sure I'll ever make a full-time living, but I really enjoy it. It's a very, it's one of those bucket list things like performing at the comedy store on a Saturday night. I, that's that's the place of legends, you know, Yakov Smirnoff and, Jer- and Richard Pryor, and to think that yeah. I got to do that, I'm really happy. So I I did things off my bucket list because I can. And because I built a life of freedom and I built a life of creativity and I'm not tied into my job. I still need to make a living. I still need to put money in savings and I have people to support. But that is unrelated to the core business. And over the years, and the other thing about being a publisher and author is people think that you're producing stuff and you never sleep because books have a life of their own. But some of those books are almost 15, 20 years old and they still show up on Amazon as if I wrote them yesterday. So trust me, I'm not, not sleeping and I'm not writing a book every day, but those are works of art that survive like music does. And so you do have time as long as you have some money to create the lifestyle you want to pursue more creative endeavors. And so that's how they're related is they're just a wild, if, if I have a bucket list and I think I can do it, I figure it out. But it wasn't easy, don't be wrong. I was not a gifted actor and um, it probably took me 100 auditions to get one paying role. But because I had a lifestyle with a lot of flexibility, you know, being a consultant and being a teacher of my own stuff, I had the flexibility to go get rejected 100 times before um, they started paying me for commercials and, and movies and things like that. <laughs> that is awesome. What about when you were interviewed on CNN and things? What were those interviews about? What, was, what part of your expertise were they interested in? They were interested in the forensic handwriting analysis. So I did something really unusual. So when I was younger, I interned with a doctor named Dr. Ray Walker. He taught me forensic handwriting analysis, which is the the art and science of identifying somebody from a handwritten item, a will, a testament. And then also I took night classes where I learned a little bit about personality. And he was one of the world's best at both of these things. So I had this skill set very, very young. And so when I started doing radio interviews, I, you know, my book sales blew up and people were really interested in personality. But I really loved the forensics. I mean, basically you're providing justice and solving crimes. I mean, that's 
that's like CSI stuff. It's really cool. And so when, when I stopped having the baby <laughs> face and people would start hiring me as, as an attorney to go to court, that business took off as well. So I still run that business, and uh, we get to travel all around the world testifying in crimes. Those are the kind of stuff that normally pull me in on, like, Larry King Live and Ashley Banfield is when there's a criminal story and there's some kind of handwriting ransom note, you know, paint on the wall. Those type of stories require somebody with not only the forensic background but the media experience to talk intelligently on television about that. And that's probably the reason most of my competitors hate me so much is I'm so much younger than they, and maybe not now, but I was at the time, and they don't get on TV. They've never had significance. They've never had any sense of fame. Maybe they're, maybe they're known in their Kiwanis Club or their local Lions Club, but they've never been on national TV. And they hate me for it because I'm younger and I'm, and I'm on TV. And, they, and I don't know why, but I don't have a lot of friends in the industry. And I think it's because I'm constantly getting media attention for something that they spent 20 years in the FBI doing. Now, am they better than me? I don't think they're better. Maybe they were when they started. I'm not sure. I think we all get better. Um, so when they go on Larry King, we were talking about John Benet Ramsey and the ransom note, and we were and they were talking about John Mark Carr. This was almost 10 or 15 years ago, and um, I believe that John Mark Carr wrote the ransom note that was found on the steps, and he did not get convicted because he apparently wasn't the person that had the DNA. So it was just a great national news story. When those news story break, they look for any guest that has the competence or intelligence, and then they, then they pull the person on the air that seems like they could be the best guest, and that's what they did, and they continued. I, I've been called by CNN three times this year already. <laughs> That's awesome. That reminds me a little bit of Dave Lacani, who uh, told everyone, you know, why he was showing up in all these weird places um, about on topics that none of us knew he knew anything about even. I mean, like, and he had just put himself out there and had determined that that's what he was going to do. So before there was a help a reporter out site, he was, he was just making himself available on all kinds of topics, and it's because he's a voracious reader, and like he just reads, reads, reads like a crazy man, and he knew a lot about a lot of stuff. And what made him it, what made him sellable is what you were talking about is that he was really good on camera, and he could convey the thoughts. He could do a lot better than I'm doing right now, talking to a really large audience, and telling, you know, explaining the situation, whatever it might be. And he showed up for the weirdest things. And I think part of it was that you just made yourself kind of like when you accomplished the other things with the movies and things like that, you just determined that that's what I'm going to do. And isn't that half the battle is that I am now this, this is now what I do, this is now what I'm going to do, and, and here's how it's going to go? Well, I, I think I think I think getting the skill set and feeling competent is important, and so understanding. But don't get me wrong; I didn't I didn't go be a movie the first time I was out. It took me years to get the the experience. Right. And so there's a depth of understanding in the areas that I profess to have some expertise in. It's definitely not uh, smoke and mirrors in, in any case. However, because I'm a trusted, right. reliable guest, if CNN falls and they say, you know, this case doesn't have handwriting. Uh, for example, the last case we're talking about, Rebecca Zakow, which they actually didn't run the segment, but there was this murder that I was a part of. Like I was a part of the legal team, and I was hired, and I had spent hours with the attorney. And so I knew all kinds of aspects to the case that was in addition to you know, the, the death threat on the wall and paint. And the producers were like, well, you know, that's fascinating. Ashley always needs somebody intelligent to talk to. And it's just good to have a human being there. Maybe we can go into the knife and position of this only because, because I deal with these legal cases on a constant basis and I have personal issues with the attorney, I, I, I could have had that conversation. So sometimes it expands beyond this particular area of expertise. But, you know, one of the challenges is when you, when you are uh, – what's the word? I hate to use the word renaissance. But if you're skilled in more than one niche – if you have a particular creative bent to you, is people kind of see you as one thing and that's what you do. Like a musician, oh, you're a country music. You mm -hmm. can't play pop music. You can only play country. You know, uh, and most musicians I know play all genres of music, but their fans only know them for one genre. And so, no, I think people pigeonhole me and say, oh, that's the handwriting expert because that's, that's what he was, you know, 20 years ago. But they don't know that most of our revenue comes from attorneys and from clients helping them build funnels and from coaches helping them learn how to break through and have the things that I have. So there's a lot of areas that aren't as well known, and I don't. I'm I'm great. I'm grateful. I mean, if someone wants to say I'm the number one handwriting expert in the world and they see me as that, that's great. 
you know, they'll just buy a few more books. But, you know, the fact is a lot of my time is spent doing uh, marketing and strategy and, and other fun stuff. Yeah. So what's your favorite thing? Are you too hard? Is it, do you get bored? Are you, you, you have to move on to something else <laughs> or have you settled down uh, from your 20s and you can stick in one spot for a while or, or how does that work? No, I definitely get bored. I think as a creative, as an artist, um, uh, I think there's a boss of boredom. So I have, like, in the handwriting analysis genre, we have published, you know, probably 40 hours of high-quality video uh, education, maybe 60 hours. And all that's available for sale. And we've got trainers in 17 countries that are trained and licensed to train that material. So I'll pro you'll probably never see me teach a basic how to understand personality course again. I have so much out there. But what I do love is I love mm -hmm. teaching those graduates and those teachers how to market themselves, you know, how, how to create clients, how to create funnels, how to create ads, how to, how to write a book. You know, I wrote a book called How to Write a Book in Nine and a Half Hours because people were like, yeah, I need a book, but I don't have two years of my life. I'm like, it doesn't take two years to write a book. It takes an hour speech, a transcriptionist, and go get a good cover from Fiverr. Like, it doesn't take more than 10 hours to write a decent short book because most customers don't want to read a 400-page book. I'll never make that mistake again. I'll make 10 80-page books and, and, you know, and not another 400-page book. Trust me, they don't want that. It's a lot yeah. of confirmation. So I, I, really, I really enjoy teaching the strategies of psychology because marketing and psychology, here's the thread you're looking for. Like, how does this all put together? Marketing and psychology are really the same. Because understanding people's behavior, motives, and transformation is the same thing you have to put in marketing and advertising. And so, you know, um, those are all very similar. So when people go through any of my certification programs, whether it's handwriting analysis, NLP, life design, when they're finished, they have this amazing skill set to transform lives. But they don't know how to market themselves. So the next step is how do we learn how to market themselves? How do we write a book? How do we get on TV? They need that same path that I've already walked. So I'm really just a guide. Quite frankly, I'm just a guide. I guide people to get their dreams. And whether that's learning the skill set, having better relationships, or understand marketing, the thread is all together. If they, if they trust and believe that I can be their guide, they'll be a client for life. And I think that's how, whether they come in the funnel yeah. because they are you know, just had a divorce and we don't want to make them a mistake against with a bad book, or they say, well, you know, I'm ready to you know, make $5,000 a client. How do I build a funnel? It's the same conversation. Do they need a guide? Do they trust you? Do they think that I've walked down the path that they've walked? And if they want me to be their guy, they hire me. Plus, doesn't that put you in a really sweet position as a creative and as somebody who tends to, you know, want to keep moving? Is you get to dip your toe in everybody else's story and everybody's business, industry, and though there might be some patterns to it, you know, oh, yeah, I've worked with somebody in this industry before, so I know a lot about it, but it's every – doesn't it keep you moving? Because you always get to talk to new people about – Maybe similar topics, and of course, you're always going to build a funnel, funnel for in fundamentally the same way that you know to you know uh, succeed in the past. But doesn't that keep you moving and keep you excited just to be able to work with different people all the time? Well, yeah, you don't want to market the same product over and over. There's nothing really dynamic about the same thing, although different markets respond differently. I mean, our ads in Facebook just do amazingly well in India, and people will put their phone number. But in America, they don't put their phone number in for the same book offer. So there's differences within the same product in different regions, which is really interesting. Uh, we're currently trans uh, transcribing all of our stuff into Chinese because we're launching a whole division in Taiwan and China. Yeah, those are all very interesting in a similar product line, but the whole cultures are different. But I think what you're talking about is having clients mm -hmm. that sell pain management or sell shirt collars or sell um, you know, uh, physical things, coffee mugs, I mean, uh, software. All those things are different, but people respond similarly. And so all that it keeps, it keeps it really fresh. I mean, I've been doing a marketing coaching program for almost four years, and it's the one – part of my month, whether once or twice a month, I'm not bored. I'm excited. I get up at 7 in the morning on Sunday morning because the time zone, we have students all over the world, and I'm happy to talk for two hours about what's working now. And, and for, for me to do something for four years, twice a month, that, that had to be exciting for me. And as long as the students show up and they're excited about learning, it's fun to teach. And I didn't feel that way about some of the other topics I taught about because I think marketing is just psychology and action. So I, I really still, it jazzes me. It's a fun program. 
Awesome. What sort of advice could you give people on a on a podcast uh, <laughs> such as this one uh, about appealing? Like, what are some short, easy ways to get people really into this? The mindset that you have about psychology and marketing being the same, and like out in the real world, what does that look like? In a funnel, you can pick anywhere in the process you'd like, but give us a little taste of of what that looks like. The creativity that you bring to the table when you're showing people how to appeal to a market, how to, uh, you know, push their buttons and get them to understand and love and, and, and want to buy something? Well, I don't know that that's a simple answer, and I wouldn't really think creativity is it. I think that really modeling is the answer. Find a model in, in a different industry and just borrow it. You know, I mean, I took direct response and long-form advertising, and I put it right into a very, very – hundred-year-old industry of expert witnessing. And we just slaughtered our competition because we were the first ones doing AdWords, first ones doing long-form copy. But in fact, I still don't do that. They still don't use long-form copy. And, and we absolutely, every market we enter, we just run everybody else out of business. And it's because we just do everything better. And we took all the stuff from direct response and online marketing and applied it to an industry that didn't really have it. So I don't know that being creative as much as is just choosing the right model and the right blueprint. Uh, there's a webinar I do called Client Funnel Blueprint, and, and it's an hour. I mean, I, I know this whole interview is an hour. We've skipped around a lot. But if you're interested in doing that, go to clientfunnelblueprint.com, watch the webinar. And if you know – let me, let me close with this. This is an important part. One of the biggest pieces is the customer journey, like where people get to know you, they meet you, they like you, they date you, and then they, you propose to them like a marriage. So it's like a three circles. And one of the mm. things that I found most effective when I'm working with my clients is whatever they're working on, I say, okay, what – section of the relationship are you working on right now? Like what part of the journey? And invariably they'll get it wrong. They're like, oh yeah, well this is a book, so this is the dating phase. I'm like, well, do you have their phone number yet? No, 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 they, they don't know me. I said, well then you're at the meet phase. They don't know, they don't know. Okay, well once you've met them, now they're going to digest a video. Cool. Is that the dating or the meeting phase? So that's, that's the dating phase. Right, because now they're getting to know you. Now they haven't bought anything from you yet, so when you ask them for money, what phase are you now? They go, oh, we're at the proposal phase. Cool. And the thing is, there's hundreds of things you could do, but they don't know where they are in the customer journey. So, for example, one of, one of the clients just wrote a book. She paid somebody $3,000 to get on nine radio shows, and she had the illusion that nine radio shows was going to somehow make her a bestseller, make all her dreams come true, and, and uh, be wildly wealthy. Like that was the illusion that she was sold. And reality was you'll sell 13 to 15 books per radio show if they give out your phone number or if they give out the website. And the fact is she had no funnel. She had no way to opt in. She never was going to get a second chance to talk to those people, and she realized her whole funnel was misconstrued. And so I love the fact people that write a book, but writing a book alone is not the customer journey. It's just the meeting phase, and you don't even have their phone number if they go to Amazon. So there's all these errors, like well-intentioned efforts, writing a great book, you know, doing some amazing videos, writing great articles, but if they're not positioned in the right sequence, they're basically useless. And that's the power of a good mentor or somebody that's, that's a marketing guide that can tell you, don't spend your time on Instagram because this thing is going to be leveraged. And that's the word that you use for your show is where's the leverage? Where do you want to spend the next month of your life? Do the things that make the biggest impact. I promise you, when you get that first ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars sale, your life will change, and you will laser focus on the one thing that made that happen, and all the other distractions will disappear. That's awesome. There's an anchor for the show right there. The customer journey thing. Uh, that's perfect. I mean, I've been there with so many people, and they, and I've seen that, and it's really wild how lost people can be. When you ask them, you know, kind of like you do, where where are you right now? Where is this? And they're thinking like 50 yards down the field. And I'm like, but that doesn't go here. And just helping people, you know, kind of figure out where everything goes, like you're stressing too much right now. I love when people are just super relieved after you you say, you're not there yet. You're just right here. And you don't even have to think about that yet. It really helps people a lot. So, that really only well, – I don't know of any way that people well. can do that on their own. Yeah. Well, you, you could do it in, in a small group coaching program. As long as you're getting some personal attention, you can do that. I mean, they don't have to have one-on-one -on -one with someone of my skill or your skill set. But it's very difficult to do it on your own. And I've seen my own students do it. 
they'll get real excited, and I'm like, what are you doing at that seminar? Oh, we got this little side project. We're going to make this software program. It's going to do this and this. And I'm like, you know I tried that like 14 times. Like, that's never going to work. But they didn't want to tell me about it because they didn't want me to tell them no. Like, like a dad and a child. Like they, they don't want to tell me because they don't want the feedback because they're really attached to it. But if I've been down that road and they trust my wisdom, it's like don't go there because that's time and energy when you should be focusing on this. Because this one thing is what's going to turn the dial for them. And these particular students, they need the money, so they shouldn't be chasing wild fantasies or, or, or going learning other things. They should right. be focused on the one thing we decided on. But they're, they're, they're afraid. They're like, well, I don't want to tell them. They might say no. And that's a lack of discipline or, or a, lack of, a lack of knowing what's going to move the, move the leverage. It's about leverage. And, knowing, and as, you can't know it unless you've been there. That's why you should spend the money and hire somebody competent as your mentor. I mean, definitely spend people that, and they're authentic. I mean, don't don't believe everything you read on the internet, but you know, you'll know after thirty to thirty minutes if they say I don't know, or or they give you some answer. I mean, I'd rather a mentor say, especially advertising. You know what? I don't know if that's going to work. Let's test it. To me, that's the best answer ever. Yeah. Or they say, you know what? Based right. on a couple of people I know, here's the results they got, but I don't know if this is going to work. Let's test it. To me, that's authentic of saying, you know, absolutely going to happen is you need to write a book and speak at Harvard. That's the secret to your success. To me, I'm worried about that person because he probably has a package to sell me on how to speak at Harvard. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, well, you know, we did jump around a lot this hour, and people might be lost in the process of how to proceed from here to continue to benefit from your knowledge and experience. So, I would I would say, and you can say differently, but I, I want to remind everybody that we got a really nice gift today from Bart at BartBaggett.com. They can do what to get your latest book called The Magic Question? So so there's uh, – I don't think there's a, there's a link, but if you look down for the book cover called The Magic Question, if you click on the book cover, it takes you to a free book download page. So right there, you can download the book, awesome. opt in, you get a couple of video newsletters, but that way you don't have to pay for it. And then a day later, assuming you put in the correct email address, we'll send you the MP3s, and then I'll read it to you uh, all by yourself. And then also on that page is information about me. I like my webinars. I think those are great ways because they're really well-constructed. You know, It takes months to put together a constructive webinar, so I think you'll get more than an hour's worth with an hour of digesting the client funnel blueprint. Awesome. Bart, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, I know you could have been on a lot of different shows, <laughs> and you have, but we really appreciate you taking the time to be on Leverage Masters today. I learned a lot, and uh, I'm definitely a new fan. You still have fans to pick up, I guess. Uh, so <laughs> I, I will definitely be telling everybody about you and, and uh, the, the talk we had today. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been my pleasure. I hope to hear from all your fans, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Have a great yeah. day, guys. Thank you so much, Bart, and you and I need to reconnect on the topic that we had originally started talking about one of these days. I'd love that, Gina. You're the best. <laughs> Thanks, and we will be back same time, same place next week for another episode of Leverage Master. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters.